This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture spelled rushing. I say welcome back. Welcome. Welcome to the Gestalt Gardener. It's a production here of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For the next hour, there's not much we can do outside right now, folks. If you're outside, there's something wrong with you. That's all it boils down to, at least if, if you're in the deep south. So uh, the next hour, let's just talk about it. I know you've got some, some frustrations. You've got some questions. You've got some things maybe you'd like to try to do or something didn't quite work right. Um, give us a call. We'll talk about it. I'm not going to try to sell you anything or talk you into anything or make you feel good or bad or whatever. Just... It's just gardeners talking. That's what we do at MPB. Whatever it is, if it's local and you got something to talk about, we're going to find a program here on MPB sometime Monday through Friday to talk with you about it. Hey, Java, what's going on with you, man? How the kids doing? Oh man, everybody's doing fine. We're you know actually, if you can believe it or not, finishing up these summer camps and getting ready for back to school time. Man, it'll be here before before we blink. What, it's the middle of August or something like that? Well, actually, uh, JPS, first uh, first day of school, I believe, is August. Let me look at the calendar. August the 8th, yes, for the kiddies. So that's like two weeks, three weeks. Well, you, you need to give Grandma a big hug because she do. Or, or, or is, your, is your sweetheart, is Crystal off for the summer? She is a teacher. Yeah, she's she's out for the summer, but she um cool. she switched positions, so she's actually working. <laughs> yeah, uh, air conditioning, right? Oh yeah, now that's the that's the thing. I I did want to ask you, man. It's uh, been a record-setting heat wave off overseas where you are, and it's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's that's crazy. I mean, the place where I stay in the summertime is uh, the average summer high is around seventy-one or so. That's the average. Um, and it gets up to 80, 85, something like that. But but this past week, for one day, it hit over 100 degrees. I've never done this before. It never hit 100 degrees in England. Uh, and where I am up north, it hit 97. But the next day, it was back down to 67. I mean, it's wild. But actually, it's just back to north. And if uh, people if you've, if, who've never been to England, if you've been to Seattle or Portland, Oregon, some of those kind of places, it's that kind of weather. It never gets really that cold in the winter. But it stays chilly. Never gets really hot in the summer. But uh, every now and then it'll bump bump up. Anyway, everybody survived. The 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 worst that happened. A lot of people jumped in these lakes to try to cool off, and the lakes are so cold, people get instantly paralyzed with cold and drown. So people people more people got killed by trying to cool off in the lakes than from the heat itself. So now, that's why. That also, I know um, overseas where in England. Air conditioning is not as um ain't ain't got it. They, got yeah, it. that's and yeah. you know for us in the south that seems unfathomable. <laughs> no, you know a lot of stores have air conditioning, of course, but uh, it used to be because no, you know nobody really had it. That if your door was closed to a store because your air conditioning, people thought you were closed and they didn't come in because it's just you know normal thing windows or and, and fans and that's about it. But Anyway, the flowers are looking nice over here, but a lot of people, you know, I, I keep track with gardening in Mississippi because I'm on this Mississippi gardening uh, Facebook thing all the time. I mean, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and the middle of the day I check in, and I'm seeing a whole lot of people 
uh, with concerns about their tomatoes, about the heat, about watering and their lawns and stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty pretty well aware of what's going on there. So if anybody wants to give us a, a chat, uh, let's let's do that. Give us a call. It's toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. And Java, before we go to this next call, I heard something really crazy the other day, and it just it just struck a chord with me. What you hear, man? Uh, uh, you know, when somebody when somebody asks you your name and you say Java, what they're hearing is this is the sound I want you to make if you want to get my attention. So that's that's all your name is the sound people make to get your attention. Besides, oi. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, just think about that. Somebody, if somebody wants to get your attention, you know, you, you may or may re- respond to, hey, you or whatever, but say Java, that's the sound you want them to say. I Okay, I get it. Just Okay, so your Felder is over. Instead of saying, hey, guy, you just say Felder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, but okay. In, in, in the middle of a crowd, you know, you can hear Java. Yeah, yeah, it, it cuts. It cuts through. I I know that's kind of weird, and we got we got a cheesy tune to take to to play today. But uh, let's go down to Mobile, Alabama. See what's up with Tim. Good morning, Tim. Thank you for calling. Good. Thanks for taking my call. I have a my my yard is is large. I I mow almost two acres, and I have a wow. of uh, I have a mix of centipede and St. Augustine grass, and yeah. I've had real good. Real good success over the years. Um, I have partially uh, open full sun. That's where the where the centipede is, and then I have beautiful live oak canopies, which is which is where the Saint Augustine is. Um, and I've had real good luck with fertilizer from from a, a national product that's uh, blended for southern grasses. I think it's a thirty five zero ten or or something close to that. Yeah, um, and. And my, so my question is, I, I, I fertilize in the spring and early summer, but is it too late to fertilize it again? Should I avoid fertilizing this time of year and on into the fall? The bag says you can fertilize on in late, even into the winter, but I've always used That's wrong. A, a, That's yeah, wrong. I've, I've used it wrong. from from Texas A and M for years and. And so, so I was just wondering which is right. Okay, well, first of all, Texas A&M and Mississippi State, University of Georgia, we're all on the same page when it comes to fertilizing lawns because it's all based on research, based on what the lawn needs. And it's pretty clear they all say the same thing. Centipedes should be fertilized no more than once a year. It likes, It doesn't like a lot of fertilizer. It causes it to have root problems. St. Augustine, once or maybe twice a year, and that's, again, the maximum that's recommended. Um, and it's sort of sort of a bottom line thing. The, the thing that to consider is what type of nitrogen is in that bag. You know, if, if you'll take a look at it, this ammonium nitrate, that's real sharp, it's real fast, it's real strong, it's temporary, but it's got any kind of slow-release nitrogen once a year is the maximum for centipede, twice a year the maximum for St. Augustine, and that's assuming that you're watering. So if you're not watering, I'd fertilize a centipede maybe every other year at the St. Augustine once a year, and that's it from the grass's point of view. And, um, you know, that's just, this is, this is turf management 101. That's, I, I appreciate that. That's exactly um, the information I needed. Thank you very much. Well, no, let, let me throw out a couple of other things real quick because a lot of other people are listening to this. 
Uh, again, the best fertilizer to use on lawns is not the cheapest. It's the good quality stuff because it's got a slow-acting, long-lasting type of nitrogen. Usually it's urea. But if it, you know, so if you're using a good quality lawn food, um, then and put it out no earlier than April. Wait, wait until the grass is greened up and and uh, been mowed a time or two. It grows a whole new root system first thing in the spring, and you don't want to fertilize it before then because it puts out a lot of top growth, but it shuts down roots. That's the problem. With too much or too early is it makes the grass look good, but it's got a miserable thin, weak root system. So fertilize lightly, uh, mow high, and those are pretty much the main things it takes to have good quality St. Augustine and, and centipede. Mow high, fertilize with good stuff, not too often. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Okay, good luck, man. Thanks. Java, i got yeah, I got to mention this. These are not my opinions. My opinions have nothing to do with it. This is what they teach in turf management at the at the southern universities. So uh, it doesn't matter to me what people do or don't do. I'm sticking with what the research is best for the grasses' point of view, not sales or, or or looks or anything like that. So I'm just throwing that one out. So anyway, uh, Amy is on the road. Let's talk with Amy. What you you got your your hands on the wheel, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, I'm coming up on my my third fall in my house, and for the third year in a row, I see no sign of pecans on my pecan trees, and I'm thinking maybe I need to add some other kind of pecan tree to make sure it gets pollinated, and I'm wondering if that's the right thing, and if so, what to plant. Also, with with your fertilizer, question i've got a bunch of goat manure and is there a way to use that to fertilize my pecan trees and i'll take it off the air because i'm almost okay yeah (laughs) yeah i got you i got you yeah uh, a couple of things Uh, first first of all pecans will make pecans by themselves or they're able to, but the problem is they have separate male and female flowers on the same tree, those little worm-looking things like you see on oak trees. Those are the male flowers, and what look like little clusters of nutlets of the females. Pecans typically have males that shed pollen either before or after the females are ready for it. So if you hit it just right, a pecan can have pecans all by itself. Usually, though, what commercial growers do is they alternate rows of pecans that have early pollen and pecans that have late pollen. So they alternate these two different types of pollinating trees to make sure there's always some pollen floating around. The problem is when the pollen is ready on a pecan tree, just like on an oak tree in the springtime, usually the first week or so in April, if we have a lot of heavy rain that week, all the pollen washes away. See, so that's the reason it's good to have two or more different kinds of pecan trees close to each other to ensure that at least one or two days of that that week or two, you're going to get some pollen. Uh, I can't recommend another variety because I don't know what you've got. But if you know what variety you set out, then uh, then we can find out whether it's an early or late pollen variety. And uh, this sounds complicated, um, and it sort of is. But Mississippi State has got a list of, of pecan varieties, and it says which ones are early pollen, which ones are late pollen. You want to make sure you have some of each. Again, there's some that, that will do fine uh, all by themselves if it doesn't rain that week. So that's about it. As far as fertilizing, if you fertilize grass, you're fertilizing your trees. That's, that's just that is, that's an arboriculture 
turf management stuff. So uh, goat fertilizer is a fertilizer. It's just a manure, just like cow manure or horse manure or chicken manure or any kind of manure. They're slow-acting, but they're, they're valid. So if you would scatter some of that under the outer spread of the branches, you know, stick your hands straight out, your arms, and wiggle your fingers, that's where the feeder roots of these trees are. So out under the outer branches and beyond. Um, and research has shown that if, you, if trees get fertilizer at least every three or four years, that's plenty. A lot do well without any at all, but they do better if they get a little fertilizer. So if you just fertilize the, the grass out there every two or three or four years, that takes care of the trees too. And some people are going to say you need this stuff called zinc because pecan trees do like zinc. Almost all of our soils are high in zinc. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go to any kind of special fertilizer that's got zinc in it uh, unless you just got the buckshot spin. Chances are you don't need it at all. So anyway, I hope that answers the question. So I appreciate your call. Glad, glad you hung up before you hit the stack there in Jackson. Now let's go up to the Delta, see what Bill's up to. Hey, Bill, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? So far, so good. Just laying low. Well, what can we? Um, last summer, I had a fish pond installed in my backyard, and um, and trying to landscape around Felder, I've got um, a hydrangea and a papyrus plant that are way too close, and I would like to move them. Should I wait yeah. till fall? Okay. Oh well, it, it would it would be better with the papyrus plant. You can cut it way back and move it. It puts out new growth, so you know that's not a problem. It's a it's a pretty hardy perennial that that continually puts on new growth. By the way, it'll actually grow in a pot sitting in the water. It's one of those kind of plants. It's hard to move a hydrangea or a holly or azalea, those kind of plants, this time of year because they really under a lot of stress from heat and drought. They need all the roots they can get. And when you dig a plant, you leave the important feeder roots behind. they got to grow new roots. So if you're going to do it, if you got to do it, uh, go ahead and prune it way back to just stubs, you know, no leaves or anything, move it, and then by the time the, the new growth comes on, which it will, it'll have a chance to, to get rooted. So even if you move it in the fall, it's always a good idea to prune shrubs back if you're going to move them just to balance the top of the roots. But if you can wait on that one until fall, that'd be better. Um, be sure to prune it in the wintertime, but if you want to do it now, just cut it back where it's leafless, move it, water it a time or two, and it should do fine. It's going to be hard on you to move a plant this time of year. Yeah. Um, the papyrus is one big clump. If I, if I was going to put some in a pot and put it in the pond, should the top of the pot be at water level? Yeah, yeah, right. These are what we call emergent zone plants. They're not submerged plants. It'll grow with a little water over it. But if you do, you have fish in your pond. Yep. Okay. Well, you. It, it, this is even better. If you can put it up on a on a brick or rock or something like that, and you're gonna have to anchor this somehow because it, you know the top is so so big, the wind's gonna blow it over. So you might want to actually set it set the pot in between some, some things to keep them falling over. But most of the time, put, put gravel or big rocks or something on the top of the dirt to keep from fish from stirring up all that dirt and all. But you're going to definitely need to anchor it in the water. Okay, if I was going to put a pot of it in the pond, I should cut it back down to where it's just going to start well, all over? Well, you, you know, you don't have to, but if you dig it up, again, it's going to lose a lot of its roots. It's going to suffer because this really, plant's really under a lot of stress right now. So you're cutting the top off just to keep it from having transplant shock. 
so if nothing else, you know, cut some of the just cut some of the bigger old leaves off, and some of them, some of the rest of them flop over, snip them off. So you don't have to just completely denude it, but you know, get get, get rid of enough of it to kind of balance the fact that you're leaving some of its roots behind. And by the way, you can divide this with a saw into two smaller plants if you want to. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Have fun over the pond, man. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty. Yeah. Java, uh, we're starting out okay so far. What do you think? Yeah, we're rocking and rolling, Felder. I actually want to take us take our first break because uh, when we come back, we got John in Greenville, Chris in Brandon, and Barbara in Cleveland. So we got a full okay. we got a full slate. Okay, and, and by the way, before we get to the tune, I want to set it up a little bit because I did some research on the guy who sang the song, and he's a really cool guy. You might want to look it up, Dooley Wilson. Okay, I'll get on my Google machine. <laughs> it's a it's a, 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 a singer that everybody will instantly recognize, but maybe not by this song. Anyway, I'm Horticulture Spelder Rushing, and we're talking about lawn care and vegetables and trees and fruits and water gardens and so far we haven't talked about bugs or blights and stuff like that yet but this is a, a great month if you can find them to set out new tomato plants new pepper plants peppers and tomatoes set out this month will have an incredible harvest when it gets cooler in the fall it's what commercial growers do so if you can find them great time to set them out Water them without keeping them too wet. A little early for winter stuff like lettuce, but we'll talk about that later. Take a quick break here at MPB and come back with more questions about gardening on the Gestalt Gardener right after. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. You're listening to an encore presentation on MPB Think Radio. We're not able to take your call right now, but you can always reach us through email. The address is garden at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing. We're going to slide up to my old stomping grounds from my childhood. John is calling from Greenville. What's going on in the Delta, John? Oh, not much today. i got a question about hostas. Okay. We, at the start of the, the spring, we planted about six. Um, and they were all big and full until about a month ago. And some yeah. on one end of the flower bed that we planted them are still green and full. Uh, the ones that are kind of more in the full sun and the full shade, one has started to get real small and yellow and dropped a bunch of leaves. And as they go from one side to the other, they they vary in that shape, shape and shade. And so we're just trying yeah. to see what we can do to save them. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the first year on any kind of perennial, they're kind of iffy because they don't have a really good root system yet. And they can stay either a little too wet or a little too dry. And because they don't have a really good root system, this can affect them weeks later. See, so you may have stayed a little too dry once or might have stayed too wet for a while. And a little bit of root damage can show up two, three weeks later in, in how the leaves look. So if you can just get them through this first summer, I think they'll do fine. Uh, second of all, when you planted them, it's real important. And very few gardeners really do this. It's really important when you pull a plant out of a pot to loosen up that potting soil and stir it into your dirt, almost bare root plants. This helps them grow, have a stronger, sturdy root system than if they've got a, 
uh, a group of roots that are sitting in some potting soil that stays wet or dry and dirt around it, that can cause problems. So, you know, if you didn't do that, that, that will always be a problem. But I, this fall, I would dig them up, loosen it up, replant. Uh, the other thing is, you said, son, hostas do not grow in the sun in the lower south. They just simply burn up. I see them in cemeteries up north. I see them in, in boiling hot sun in England, but they won't take the sun to speak of in the south. Morning sun, yeah, but if they get hot sun, they're just going to suffer. And in that case, I would go ahead and dig them up now and put them in a different place because they're not going to get any better. It's just going to go downhill. So keep them moist. Don't keep them wet. A little bit of extra fertilizer. They, you know, you can sort of spoon feed hosses because they put new leaves on all the time. But if you hit it with about a half-strength fertilizer and a deep soaking without keeping them too wet, they should, you know, eventually get enough roots to, to handle it. But I think it's a combination of, of young plants, intense heat, and a little bit too much sun. And, uh, again, whether or not you loosen those roots is going to be a factor there. So I don't know if that helps, but that's pretty much Hosta 101 in the south. Thank, thank you much. Okay, good luck on it, man. Oh, by the way, you're in Greenville, right? Yes, if you ever pick up, they got a, a magazine there called Life in the Delta. I've been writing for them for about three years now, once a month, about something about gardening in the Delta. So if you get a chance to pick up a copy, it's a free uh, uh, advert-type magazine, Life in the Delta. Uh, I wrote about some pretty funky stuff this summer about gardening in the Delta. Anyway, thank you for call. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right, and let's move on to Brandon. Chris, what's happening in central Mississippi? Hey, how are you doing this morning? Doing fine, doing fine. What you got going on? I have a question about plumeria uh, seed pods. Um, how long does it typically take for those to open or ripen uh, on the plant? And then after you've got these seeds, which I do now, um, I've looked online and seen they say put on a paper towel, put some of them, put them with a maybe three-quarter mixture of water and the rest of it, uh, some hydrogen peroxide, and uh, once that's moistened yeah. up, put it in a plastic bag and put it in the window. What is your recommendation? Well, it sounds like you know more than I do. I, I, my only plume area, I, you know, I, I've never grown them from seed. I don't know anybody who does. I know that they grow from seed because they have all sorts of hybrid varieties, but most people just grow them from, from, from cuttings. So I don't know anything at all about it i will say this so if you'll stay tuned during you know what during a break i'll do a real quick google but it sounds like that 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 they're doing things that haven't necessarily been required because they've been growing these things for a lot longer than we had hydrogen peroxide so it sounds like that the seeds need some kind of special treatment to get them to sprout but i just don't know where to be they're tropical plants i can't imagine they need any any bells and whistles or anything so anyway i don't know but I'm glad to find no, out for you and and for me. And how long? And I got another question on uh, a different fruit, but uh, on those cuttings, how long do you typically have the most success on the cutting? Like, you know, six, seven inches of a cutting, or or less than that, or more? Well, or what? well you know, technically, they can as long as they have two leaf joints and grow roots from one leaf joint and stem from the other. So you could root one from a piece two or three inches long, but most people. You know, going to get one to six, eight inches, maybe a foot long or something like that. If you're going to grow yours from cutting, though, when you make your cuttings, uh, let it completely dry out. You know, just, you know, don't just cut it and stick in some soil. Let it, let that cut in heal over a little bit. Um, have you grown the plumeria more than just this year? 
Yes. Okay, well, then, the then first, you know... This is the first year I had seed pods. Yeah, and I just looked at the picture. The seed pods are kind of interesting looking. I mean, they're long and they're dark colored, but I just, you know... I've, yes. Mine is always... You know, usually they drop their leaves. They go dormant in the fall. People think that, they're, that plants are dying because they lose their leaves, but this is how they, they naturally do. I just have never... Uh, never, never seen one. Um, I did see uh, th- there's there's plenty of stuff about online. I noticed about growing plumeaters from seeds, but I don't see anything. Um, I don't see anything really. I don't I don't see anything really unusual about it, is what I'm saying. Okay, thanks. And I, if I could ask about uh, the MSU Extension Service down in the south part of the state along the coastline, they're doing some conference stuff that they've done i guess down in florida they did a fruit meat uh conference on passion fruit and i'm just curious if anything about that or i think it's dr eric stolfi yeah 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 he he's down at the uh experiment station there out from uh oh i'm just on a total blank i've been there i've been there i've been there popperville and uh, they're doing a lot of interesting research on stuff to find out what's the, you know, what can we grow outside of its normal range. There's no passion fruit production in this part of the country, and that'll tell you something. It means either they tried it, didn't work, or it's difficult, or nobody's gotten around to trying it. And that's what Dr. Eric does. I can't pronounce his last name either. But uh, so I, I just don't, I, I'd be I'd be real I'd be real surprised about passion fruit. Even though you know, are we talking about the the, the passion fruit uh, that some people call maypop? Well, I'm not sure the which pa- variety he told. I did talk with him, and he said there were two or three varieties that they suspect might have a chance, and the rest of them wouldn't have much of a chance in the climate along the coast. Yeah, well, I think, I think one of them. If, if it's a passiflora, I'm sorry, I'm okay. If it's a if it's a type of passion fruit, a lot of people call maypop or passiflora. We have a native species that grows all over Mississippi, make pretty good fruit. It's just not really tasting more seed than anything. But some of the tropical uh, passifloras, if that's what we're talking about, uh, they're kind of borderline as far as, as far as hardness is concerned. You see a lot of them in Florida, Southern California, but you know I just don't know how far north. Most of the tropical passiflores will grow unless you keep them in a container or something. All right. Well, thanks much. Okay, I appreciate it, man. You stumped me on both of those, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do some learning on that. Thank you. So, good job. I got stumped on those. Let's slide up to Cleveland, up to the Delta. See if uh, if, uh, if Barbara is there something I can help Barbara with. Hey, Barbara. Good morning. Good morning, Felder. I met you when you came to Cleveland to the park a few years ago. I wish you'd come back. Anytime. Well, all, all they gotta do, all they gotta do is ask. Okay. Uh, anyway, I was a new outdoor gardener then, and I've been doing it since COVID. I have some hydrangeas that are beautiful and green, but they won't bloom this year. I have six of them. They're in the. They have bloomed in the past. Would you think it's just fertilizer? Uh, do you know what type of hydrangeas they are? No, they're pink mainly, and they're oh, the fluffy. The kind, I mean, I've, the kind with the round, common. round, big, big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of a couple of things will affect uh, affect those. Uh, first of all, they'll take cold weather and they'll take hot weather. They'll take sun or shade, but they're not going to do well unless they have a good root system. 
Uh, hydrangeas don't have a real strong root like you think of a holly or a nandina or a crepe myrtle. And if they stay a little too wet or a little too dry or their hole was too small to begin with, they don't have a good root system. They'll have great leaves, but they won't flower very well. Uh, One of the things you can try is is not so much – you could do this now, but certainly in the wintertime, cut some of the stems back by halfway or two-thirds. The tallest stems, just reach down in the plant and cut them down inside the plant to make them branch out a little bit closer. In other words, just thin out some of the growth. That'll take some of the stress off the plant. And other than that, a little bit of fertilizer in the spring, an occasional deep soaking, and that's pretty much – I see these growing in old home sites without being watered or fertilizer. So, uh, but a little fertilizer and occasional soaking, light pruning, that's about all I can recommend. Real general advice. Okay, because in the past summers they would droop from one day to the next. The leaves would be droopy, and I'd water them, and they'd perk up. But this year they're all beautiful. You know, I do water well, I have other things in the garden, you know, next to uh, them. But well, not well, at all. Now, a perfectly healthy hydrangea will droop on a hot day, but it perks up mm-hmm. overnight. That's a that's a defensive thing, and it might be that you've been overwatering them a little bit. And uh, okay. so, anyway, you know, again, if you ride around the older parts of town, you ride around anywhere, any town in the Delta, you'll see hydrangeas growing on the home sites, and you know they don't water. And they all you know they're everywhere. They're beautiful. Yeah. They really are everywhere. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm yeah. the person who didn't know how to grow rosemary, and now I can grow it. I tried it so many times. From a few years ago, I could not keep rosemary alive, and I called you, you several trying, times. You're just trying too hard. Same thing with the hydrangea. I love them to death. Sorry, I just <laughs> yeah, love my place. Thank that's you. Okay. You bet. Appreciate it. Okay, now. Uh, See, I think it's time to go and do this cheesy tune with Java. Did you have a chance to look up Dooley, Dooley Wilson? Yeah, I did. I looked him up, and um, uh, it's really cool. Yeah, no, you go go ahead. Everybody remembers him as Sam from Casablanca. Uh Play it, Sam. As time goes by, but uh, he, I chose a tune from from that thing that it's just kind of a picker up, a little fun little short tune today. I didn't realize, but, you know, he was born in the 1800s, over a century ago. He was making money singing when he was eight years old. The famous drummer, famous singer, been in a lot of movies, been with, with Bob Hope and Lena Horne, but he's most commonly remembered as singing As Time Goes By from Casablanca. I thought I'd choose a little short tune that's a little happy thing that most people didn't even pay any attention to. We'll be back with more of the Gestalt Garden of me and Java. I'm Felder and all the other folks at MPB. Right after this, folks, hunker down. It's still hot out there. Say, who's got trouble? We got trouble. How much trouble? Too much trouble. Well, now, don't you frown. Just knuckle down and knock on wood. Who's unhappy? Unhappy. Uh-oh, that won't do. When you are blue, just knock on wood. Who's unlucky? We're unlucky. How unlucky? Too unlucky. But your luck will change if you'll arrange to knock on wood. Who's got nothing? We got nothing. How much nothing? Too much nothing. Say nothing's not an awful lot, but knock on wood. Now, 
Dow who's happy. Very happy. Just how happy? Very happy. That's the way we're gonna stay, so knock on wood. Now who's lucky? We're all lucky. Just how lucky? Very lucky. Well, smile up then, and once again, let's knock on Welcome back to Horticulture Spell to Rushing, and I am ready to chat with you about what's going on in your garden. It's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. Um, and before we uh, start getting some of the calls, let me mention this. I did go online and passion fruit. I was thinking of two different things on passion fruit. Uh, but the, the, the ones that they're talking about that are being researched at Poplarville is a type of passiflora, which is sort of tropical, subtropical versions of our wild maypop a passion vine with a really exotic purple flowers. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Java, I sent you a, a, a picture already uh, to run with our, our podcast today, but I've got a picture of the passion, the passiflora, the, uh, the, the, the passion vine that I'm going to send you to run with this week's um, podcast, if that's all right with you. Yeah, no, that is that is fine. And um, doing a little research, well, we do have some calls coming up next is uh, Francis and Natchez. But before we get to Francis, uh, doing some research on Dulé Wilson. Um, um, he did a lot of stuff. I mean, he was singing at a child. He was being paid money when he was eight years old to sing. And I, it, did you find out about him playing on Casablanca? Yeah, playing on Casablanca. But he's from, he was born 18, uh, I think it was 1886 in Tyler, Texas. And Tyler, yep. Texas is the um, home of the largest rose garden in the United States, 14 acres of uh, public garden. And they have the Tyler okay. Rose uh, the annual Rose Festival um, each October in Tyler, Texas. Yeah, I gave a lecture there this past fall. A real good friend of mine, Greg Grant. Now, a lot of people, a lot of our listeners know Greg Grant. He's uh, uh, one of the original Texas Rose Rustlers, and he's and uh, you know he's he's been in Mississippi a number of times. But uh, the, I thought the thing interesting thing about about uh, uh, Dooley Wilson was that even though he sang in Casablanca. He didn't play the piano. They hired him because he's such a good singer. <laughs> he was a drummer. He had a band, but he was a drummer and singer. <laughs> oh, so he was just kind of miming the piano. <laughs> yeah, but but it was real. I mean, they 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 wrote that song specifically for him. How okay. about that? Well, that's all right so, there. Anyway, we we're doing a little bit of chatting about stuff, and if you want to yak about gardening, I am going to send a job a picture of the passiflora, our native what they call the maple, the passion flower. It's the the fruit of it is about the size of maybe a golf ball, and it's called maypop. When they're green, they they pop like a little balloon, but when they get yellow and wrinkled, they got really good sweet uh, fruit, a lot of seeds, but. What they're doing, it researches on some of the bigger varieties, the better tasting variety, the hybrid varieties that are normally not cold hardy in most of Mississippi. So we'll see how that works out. Anyway, let's slide over to Natchez now and see what Francis is up to. Thanks for holding. What's up? Good morning, Felton. I got a question and a request. My question is, I've got some sago palms on my place. What's the the proper way to, uh, and I got the little baby plants coming up, uh, you know, around yeah. it. Uh, the best way to, you know, remove them and, you know, plant them, you know, in other places. 
Yeah, I, I actually one of my first jobs in horticulture that I was paid for was 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 doing that with Sago Palm down in Corpus Christi, Texas, back in the seventies. And what you do is you put on some heavy gloves. I mean, some heavy gloves because you can't really see them, but the little small pups have got spines in them that stick straight up. And they'll stick right in the middle of your finger. But take some gloves, reach down and grab one of them, and just twist it around till it twists off. Huh. And then put them, then stick them just a little ways in a pot, and they'll grow new roots. You need to do that when they're still kind of small. If they're bigger than that, it's going to take two hands. Cut some of the leaves off, but just twist them off and just stick them oh, a third or halfway or so in some pretty good potting soil, and they'll take it from there. Okay, thank you. But there are, there are some requests. Is you like that cheese and music? Uh, oh, put man. on Rojo, the Fighting Rooster. <laughs> I like to hear that. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. Have, we're gonna have to. See if Java thinks that that's okay. Rojo the fighting rooster. Yeah. Okay, there's got to be there's got to be some history behind that, but I guarantee you, Java is already on it because he's he's curious about stuff like this. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Did you get Did you get that Java? Rojo the fighting rooster. You know, I got to see what's up with that one. Oh, okay, okay. We might we'd have to. You know, you never know. It might be funny, but it might be, nah, I don't think so. Yeah, we got a pre-screen. We have to pre-screen. <laughs> there you go. Hey, uh, let's let's stay in Natchez and talk with Charles. Charles, what do you go, What you got going on today? Oh, Phil, I just wanted to first comment on the uh, statement about the, about the May Pops. I grew up in the Mississippi Delta. Yeah. And I can remember, uh, as a child, I can remember just they were everywhere, and we ate them everywhere. Uh but yeah, my question and they're, is, and, and, they're, and they're always growing in the worst places. You know, if you put them in good dirt, they have all vines. They don't do anything. But you find them along fence rows and you know, just out of the way places. They were just weeds in the delta. Yeah, I, I never saw anybody try to grow a burrito. But uh, I lost my basically my mustard crops to flea beetles in the spring. What's the best yeah. time to get start a fall crop? Well, you can, you can start mustard. Yeah, you can start mustard and turnips and even lettuce and things a little bit earlier than than, than you would think. Um, usually in August, you know, you can actually start them in July. But if you start them in August or the first part of September, if you can keep them from drying out too much, you don't have to keep them wet, but you just have to wet them down every now and then. If you can get a pretty good stand uh, in by September and October, they'll start picking up pretty well. If you're trying to avoid beetles, uh, I'd put it off just a little bit later. You know, wait until, you know, middle of September or so to get them started. Um, but flea beetles are going to be hard to control without sprays. I hate to say that because nobody wants to spray anything. And leafy greens, sprays a lot of times stick on that. And you can't always wash it all off. you got to be careful what you spray. And you got to spray the underside of the leaves, which means a sprayer that blows, you know, to blow the leaves around when you're putting it out. So flea beetles are pretty tough. Anyway, if you... Uh, it, Try some in in uh, in around the first part of September, and then maybe a second crop if you can around the first of October, and then one other thing is you can start again in I'm gonna say in Natchez late February first part of of, of March, and maybe you can get a pretty good crop before the flea beetles crank back up. Okay, thank you. And I enjoy your show so much. I appreciate the, the whole. Oh, I gotta ask, what part of the Delta are you from? Shaw, Mississippi. Shaw, man, I went through Shaw many times from Indianola to to that back, back highway between Indianola and Shaw, going to Cleveland. Oh yeah, both forty eight, yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, and, and and you and I both know that where there where there are may pops, there's red bugs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Charles. Appreciate you, Kyle. Good luck on on the, the on those. All days. right. Thank you. You bet. Now let's slide in the mobile. I haven't talked to Mikey in a long time. How you doing, lady? I'm doing good. I'm glad to hear you're doing good too, man. Right. What's up? Uh, I, I got a question. I hope it's not too stupid. Um, uh, I got a bunch of plants that have been water rooted for some time, and um, from what I've read and heard, um, plants grow different roots when they're rooted primarily in water. A lot of these, I'd like to go ahead and. Um, you know, give them a little come on and, you know, gradually get them into pots and and or, you know, the dirt, you know, ground level stuff. And um, some of them, uh, um, okay, examples, uh, purslane, which is my favorite, and I know that it's one of yours because um, my favorite, it's my favorite because it's, uh, it, to me, it tastes like romaine lettuce and it's one of the summer greens that we can actually grow here. Right in our humid and stuff. Um, other plants, aloes, um, and one that I just started. <laughs> well, I hate to admit this, but you wait, know, wait, 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 wait. You, you're not growing uh, aloes, rooting them in water, are you? Uh, they have been only in water, some of them. And my question is, uh, to cut to the chase, um, can I start adding some? Uh, well-composted leaf mold a little at the time to make it an artificial swamp, in other words. Can I add some soil? Um, is that even possible, or am I just, you well, know, having a garden yeah, daydream? Well, no, you, 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 might, you might be over-dreaming this, so uh, here's the deal. Plants that root in water, those are different kind of roots. They're, they're, they have a different structure. They're more brittle. Uh, you know, they're not as, they're not as sturdy. And so if you're going to root a plant in water and then transfer it to some potting soil, you have to kind of do it gently or else you'll break those roots off. Uh, you know, a lot of people do that. I do this all the time. You know, matter of fact, I visited a gardener the day before yesterday, and he roots stuff in beer cans I mean, because he doesn't have enough containers. But th- those roots are brittle, and they're different. They absorb nutrients and everything different. So you got to just be careful. you got to put them in some potting soil and keep them moist. But oddly enough, not wet. See, so it's just a little transition period. If the plant's too big, it's going to have more of a transition. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know anybody. You know, uh, aloe is a succulent. It grows in deserts. It grows in pots with no water for weeks and weeks on end. So I've just never heard of growing them. And I'm not saying it won't happen, but I don't know what kind of roots they would have growing in water. Uh, the main thing is if you root something in the water, as soon as it gets some pretty good roots, go ahead and gently pot it up with some well-drained potting soil and keep it moist, not wet. And that's, you know, that's as general as I can get. May, may I ask, please? My question is, can you start adding a little bit of stuff gradually to the water container I, and, I, and I, have I, I, new roots I, develop I, that will be adaptable? I suppose you could, but it'd be better to go ahead and just pot them up because what's going to end up, you know, you're going to end up growing them in mud. And I don't know that roots growing in mud are as as sturdy as growing in just water or, or the, you know, it's, a, it, it's an oxygen diffusion thing. And basically you're talking about gradually making the water more and more like mud before you grow them into other stuff. And 
uh, I think it'd be better to go in and just pot them right on up. So I, I don't know. I could be totally wrong on that. Totally wrong. But anyway, uh, you saying we got to take a real quick break and we're going to come back with more of the Gestalt Gardener. Okay, I think we got time for another call or two. Uh, matter of fact, we're going to slide up to Olive Branch when we get back from this call. If you've got some things to talk about during the week, check out Mississippi Gardening Facebook. A lot of real gardeners there. There's some experts there. A lot of people not sure the difference between a strawberry and a grape, but we're all helping each other. So Mississippi Gardening Facebook. And um, you can see pictures I post every week of things that I see around my little village in Lancashire. Uh, still keeping it Mississippi. Still keeping it real. Still keeping it down in the dirt. We'll take a real quick break and come back with the final segment of the Gestalt Gardener right after this. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing the leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. All righty, folks, welcome back. Horticulture Cell Rushing, and I am cross-eyed for researching on how to grow plumeria from seed. There's so many people giving advice, and I know that a lot of folks just stick them in the dirt. And they, I just don't know, but before we get, before I uh, expunge all of my ignorance on this, let's go up to Olive Branch and talk with Sterling. Sterling, thank you for calling and holding. What's up? How you doing today? Thank you for taking my call. Fine. What's up? Uh, got a question about watering your grass. I've always heard that you water it in, like in the morning time up in the day uh, because if you do it in the evening, then there is a chance for uh, disease you know, to, to grow. And I thought about what, what's the difference between that watering your grass and then it raining in the evening or even overnight? Okay, but believe it or not, I didn't hear a thing about that. I didn't hear any of that. Oh, okay, okay. Well, just asking about watering the grass, the time of the day. I've heard you water in the evening; it could cause uh, diseases. And I thought about it. It rains in the evening, so what's the what's the difference between the two? Why doesn't it cause uh, disease to come about when you when it rains in the evening? Okay, I finally got my, my, my earphones fell out. I heard everything, but why does what cause it to when, when it rains? Sorry. Why doesn't the rain cause disease when it comes in the evening? Because they say don't oh, okay. water your grass in the evening. Good, good question. Good question. It's a simple question. Sorry, you had to answer three times. Uh, first of all, rain doesn't cause diseases. Uh, that's a myth. Watering in the evening doesn't cause diseases. That's a myth. The problem is people who water too much and they water too often. That sets plants up for diseases. And if the plants, the longer a leaf stays wet, the more the, the better conditions for the fungus or bacteria to develop. So when you water in the evening, the leaves uh, and the stems stay wetter longer, which gives a little bit more ed- more time for the bacteria or fungus to develop. But in a case of rain and case of watering, not that big a deal. It's only when they stay wet a long time or a lot or too often that's a problem. It's just like what they say don't water in the middle of the day. It rains in the middle of the day. But in general, it's better to water when plants have, when the soil can soak it in and plants can dry out as quick as possible. And that's on the off chance 
that the plants will stay so wet for so long that it gives diseases a, a, a chance to get started quicker. That's all it is to it. Good question, though. All right. Well, I think, thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. Well, there's all sorts of things out there. People say do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that. There, there are whole books, and there's an entire online group of horticulturists who get together and they talk about stupid things people tell each other because they believe it's true. Uh, garden myths is what we call them. In Java, I could go on and on and on about the things that I hear all the time that are simply not true. Yeah, I appreciate I, I Sterling think, for calling in. That was a new one. I never heard that. And I would have been thinking the same thing where you don't water in the in the evening, but it rains whenever. So where yeah, where is this yeah. disease coming from? Yeah, and they say and they say don't water in the middle of the day because well, you know rain doesn't care. But it's for people who water too much. And if you have problems with diseases and you water in the evening, the leaves stay wet. The diseases can spread more quickly, and and that's a good idea. But you know at the same time, it's 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 it's, it's only based in uh, possibilities. You know horticulturists are the ones who come up with all these rules that gardeners don't need. I give another, you're always supposed to scrub your pots and soak them in Clorox and stuff before you repot in there. If you're concerned about greenhouse production, yeah, but no. They say don't reuse old potting soil. I, I just, I, there's no problem doing that kind of stuff unless you're in a commercial setting where little details matter. That's the only, and so a lot of these things are horticultural greenhouse production type things that don't quite make it over. Uh, to I give you another example. People say, well, they cut golf courses real close and they water them all the time. That's because those things are grown in sand, and it's a special type of Bermuda that grows best at half an inch tall. But it doesn't translate to – they put sand on their putting greens because their putting greens are already sand. So anyway, a lot of things horticultures do. Gardeners don't have to worry about. Yeah, it's one of those things where they see the pictures, but they don't really know what's going on behind all of that. They just want that yep. result. <laughs> one of the things I do all the time is I look up garden myths. If something's too good, to, if something sounds weird, it probably is. If ain't Mamie doesn't do it, you probably don't need to. Cutting roses above an outward space in five leaflet leaves, you can prune roses with cherry bombs and they'll still bloom. So anyway, that's my job is to try to put some reason interpret horticulture in the gardening and sometimes i get it right sometimes i don't but i will always admit it if i don't know i'm horticulturist so the rushing it's a hot weekend it's humid it's unnaturally hot for humans to be outside take it easy think about what you can do but if you can get some pepper tomato plants it's a good time to set them out take a kid to farmer's market let them meet somebody who can show them the benefits of doing what we do best, and that's get dirty. See y'all next week.